0: Roddy came in and was like, he says we're doing Shakespeare again. <laughs> yeah. So make some notes if you have anything to say about Shakespeare, which like, when don't I? I really
1: did kind of just burst into the room, just like, yeah, it's Shakespeare
2: time. <laughs> I think because I was talking about how Shakespeare doesn't usually have a villain, hero, offset, mm-hmm. dark versus light, mm-hmm. pure good pure evil situation that we would see in maybe like a Luke versus Vader sort of situation. So mm-hmm. Iago Iago is very complex mm-hmm. because Othello wasn't a hero. He's a
1: victim? The way I would explain Shakespeare, or at least Othello, which might sound somewhat biased to some people, but Shakespeare just works from the antagonist-protagonist archetype rather than Agreed. the villain hero. So technically, technically, Othello is the protagonist. Exactly. But Iago is special because he is not merely an antagonist. He is a villain.
0: I actually pulled up, there's the complete works of William Shakespeare on the MIT website of all places uh, that has been there since 1993. Certainly was... uh, Boon in my undergrad years and I was like, oh, wait, hold on. I got to go look something up real quick. I'm just going to mm-hmm. control F and search, you know, the plain text HTML file display, play. And I actually pulled it up after you came into my office, Roddy, and was like looking at the, the titles, you know, of all the plays and was like, wow, there's only like, Othello is kind of the only one where you can say that someone was maybe... Written as a villain specifically, maybe Richard III. Um,
2: Thank you. <laughs> I just raised my eyebrows and she yeah. read,
0: and possibly Hamlet. I want to talk about Hamlet. Um, but as we discussed on Villains Podcast Part One about mm. Claudio, there are plenty of villains in Shakespeare plays you don't realize it. Exactly. Bertram and All's Well That Ends Well. Bertram, I'm coming for you. Oh, my God! I can't stand that guy. I'm supposed to believe I'm supposed to believe that title's true. I'm supposed to believe all's well that ends well when this like smart, savvy, very interesting woman spends the whole play chasing after this absolutely worthless man and then ends up married to him at the end. and everyone's like, "Oh, it's so happy." And I'm like, "Is it?
1: I love this so much
2: We're. We're gonna pause right there with our energy of coming for people because I have a great segue, but I first have to introduce the podcast and say that you're listening to A Little Too Quiet. <laughs> the Ferndale Library podcast brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. I'm Jeff, of course, and you've been listening to Mary Graham. Hello. And Roddy's here too. Hi. This is Villains 2, uh, part two, because we just had too much that we left on the table last time. In fact, we uh, that's exactly how we ended the last episode. Mm-hmm. We left Emotep on the table. And then we had to conclude that episode. we were like, we have to come back and talk about villains again. Mm -hmm. Now, speaking of villains we're coming for, I wanted to kind of kick this off by letting Mary Graham talk about someone who she didn't get a chance to talk about last time, even though she might have addressed him briefly. And that is Mr. Wickham.
0: Yes. So I do feel like we gave some good time to Jane Austen villains. As we do. Uh, As we do. um, Other... Other cads that go in the Jane Austen Hall of Fame, John Willoughby from Sense and Sensibility, of course. I am currently rereading Northanger Abbey on audiobook, and mm-hmm. I had forgotten how much I hate John, For- uh, John Thorpe. Oh my <laughs> god, that guy. Like,
2: Or do you just hate him more now?
0: No, it's like I had forgotten because he is like it. mansplaining <laughs> the human. Like he is the human version of uh, gotta love it. Gaslight Gatekeep etc um, I hate that guy and the reason I hate him so much is that he's like real mm-hmm. like something I do love about Northanger Abbey is that all of the characters in it are very like mm-hmm. I, I know Henry Tony in real life you know <laughs> um, and unfortunately John Thorpe also exists in real life um, but Mr. Wickham still by virtue of amount and degree of lives ruined is the Jane Austen villain of all time, I think. And I just read a delightful novel that I believe has been mentioned on the podcast already. That's right. And The Murder of Mr. Wickham. It is not subtitled A Social Service, but it could have been. Um, and I didn't realize when I first picked it up that it's like this... Jane Austen crossover Sure, it's like this is my multiverse of madness
2: <laughs> um, because it also has characters from north and north and Garambi, it,
0: right? it has so actually the author did a really interesting job with figuring out when she could plausibly date the events mm-hmm. of the novels of uh-huh. Jane Austen's novels mm-hmm. because I think only there's only one or two where there's a, some kind of reference that pins it down as well it had to be after this date Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean we know when they were written but we don't know when they're set and so she made some choices about like, well, you could you could make the case that Pride and Prejudice is set this early and then Sense and Sensibility for her is set like 20 years later. She's so diligent
2: to the timeline. She's very mm. diligent to
0: the timeline. So it has so the Darcy's are in like their forties and they have an almost grown son. Wow. And he's a big player. And Catherine Moreland, alas, does not appear, but we learned that she's become a lady novelist because of course she has. Um, and her daughter is in it. So the idea is that uh Emma Woodhouse Knightley is throwing this big house party, and that she and George Knightley know all these people somehow or related mm-hmm. to them distantly. And so there's there's a house party with a lot of Jane Austen characters. And Wickham crashes the house party and is a, a nuisance for about three days. And then he ends up dead.
2: And then it's uh, uh, like a closed And room, then it's a, in, it's, a, it's a
0: yeah, it's a lock all the doors. Nobody can leave, Excellent. you know, kind of murder mystery. And the Darcy's son and the Tilney's daughter team up to figure out who did it. Because they're basically the only two with alibis.
2: I like how this book's pitch is. Because, of course, they would kill Mr. Wicker. Well,
0: obviously. And the thing is, like, everybody, they're like, this doesn't narrow it down at all. Everybody hated that guy. Um, and it is, I enjoy, I don't read a lot of Ag- Agatha Christie, but I enjoy the novels where Poirot is like, so I know who killed this man, but he was terrible. So as far as I'm concerned, nobody killed this man. Like, you know, like Murder on the Orient Express when he's like, I can't read suddenly, I don't know. Um, and, And this similarly, you know, if you don't want all of my favorite murder mysteries... Are the ones where the person who was killed is terrible, so mm-hmm. you don't feel bad mm-hmm. about, like, like it takes, like, 100 pages for someone to off Mr. Wickham. Right. And I'm like, my only suspension of disbelief is that it took that long. <laughs> um, <laughs> but,
2: but, but it's also everyone has a motive.
0: But everyone has a motive. And I'm normally terrible about guessing the right. killer. And I actually got this one, which I was very proud of. And truly, in the end of the book is, like, as far as we're concerned, this was a social service. Yes. Nobody will be... Taken to the ends of court over this. Um, So it was just so set. It was wish fulfillment. Yes. Like, and the reason that Sarah and Cricket might have mentioned this, but the reason that the author wrote it is because she started reading Death Comes to Pemberley by Mm -hmm. P.D. James, um, which I've also read and enjoyed, although I enjoyed the murder of Mr. Wickham more for similar reasons to its author, uh, because she said when she started reading Death Comes to Pemberley, she picked it up assuming Wickham was going to be the murder victim because... Who else would you kill? And she's like, and then when he wasn't, it's not that it was a bad book. It just wasn't the book I was expecting. So I wrote the book I was expecting.
1: Yes, that was my problem with Death Comes to Pemberley. So when Mary Graham came shuffling up to me like, Roddy, did you know about this book? I was just like, please, this sounds amazing. I think this I like literally I told I you our second copy is still on the shelf. Yes, And I did go grab it. But unfortunately, at the time, I was already juggling like, seven other books. I haven't so. finished
0: a book so quickly and I don't remember how long. So I mean I sympathize with that. Yeah. I'm also currently juggling seven books.
1: Yeah. So I'm going to go back to it because I really I need it to do for me what Death Comes to Pemberley did not do for me mm-hmm. unfortunately because it was so good mm-hmm. but no one cares about Mr. Dinny that much. This is
0: the thing. That's exactly it. I mean the joy of Death Comes to Pemberley is that it is so focused on the Darcy family. Mm-hmm. You do get a lot more of Darcy and Elizabeth than you get, although you get, you know, I think some really excellent scenes. And and you know, everyone makes their choices about characterization. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the murder of Mr. Wickham, even the ones that I was like, that's not what I would have done. Mm-hmm. I was still like, this is still supported by the text. Right. So I do
1: understand how you got here and I respect that.
2: Mm-hmm. Roddy, thoughts?
1: Oh, I just hate Mr. Wickham. The worst. <laughs> I mean, think about it. In terms of like, in terms of just not just book, but also like the rom com genre over all types of media, mm-hmm. Mr. Wickham. Is the mold for a lot really of is. these, like, quote-unquote villains in that genre. And so... He's a scoundrel, and he's not the fun kind.
0: No, he's horrible. He's the worst kind. And I think, because I think you want to talk about villains we kind of love to read versus villains legitimately make us mad. And I think the impressive thing is that, like... I reread pride and prejudice at least once a year Mm -hmm. and when when mr wickham comes like you know quote unquote on screen i'm like bastard spotted you know or and i and i enjoy you know reading the scenes where like after elizabeth knows what's going on and enjoys like playing with him a little bit like a cat and mouse i'm like this is satisfying to me reading so he's in he's the worst but i still kind of enjoy reading about him reading northanger abbey and being like, oh, that's right. I want to hit John Thorpe over the head with a book. Mm-hmm. Like a really, really heavy one. Now I'm remembering why I haven't reread Northanger in ages.
2: That's the distinction. And
0: you... that's the distinction is that like he actively makes my skin crawl, even though he is not as terrible person of a person as Wickham. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, right, right. Like this villain makes me angry, but not in a good way.
1: Yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to bring it up. Do because it. the villain. Okay, so Listeners. Mary Graham and I very recent, well. Mary Graham had already read these books. Mm-hmm. You likely have heard her talk about them on I'm the ju- pod before. I'm just getting
2: ready to ring a bell. Maybe.
1: Okay. Do you want to? <laughs> do you want to guess?
2: I, well, my first guess is always Sylvia Moreno Garcia. Oh, now in this case. This is is for Mary Graham. (laughs) I'm still going to guess. Is it the Bear and the Nightingale series? That's it. It's the Winter Night Trilogy. (laughs) The Winter (laughs) Night Trilogy. And the Bear
1: and the Nightingale is the first book. So in this trilogy, which Mary Graham like very lovingly peer pressured me into reading. To date, I have gotten four separate people to read these books. Honestly, it's impressive. (laughs) So I started reading them and- there's just so many chats, so many text messages, so many emails of me viscerally reacting. Reacting. I
2: was getting live updates. But...
1: Because there are not just, there's not just one villain. There's actually three main villains.
2: And uh, one uh, are of... they united? Or? Uh, okay. Yes and no. Okay. Yes
1: and no. They are not
0: unconnected. Okay. So. They're and not- this is across all three books. Yes, this not is across just all three books. Not this just The Man and the Nightingale. Um, so- and this is in the
2: fantasy genre, we should say. Yes, it is books historical it- fantasy. Excellent.
0: Set in very lovingly researched and described medieval Russia. Well, it's not Russia yet. It's uh, Kievan Rus, mm-hmm. um, which is quite impressive because there is almost nothing out there source-wise about like 13th century Kievan Rus. Wow. Um, it's so
1: well done.
0: But it's so, oh, so good. My little heart. It's the kind of writing that just makes me so happy that like alphabets exist.
2: Having not read it, but only looked at the cover, I have to assume it involves magic, if not the dark arts of some (sighs) kind. Yes, in
0: a very traditional Russian folklore kind of way. Yes. And it's very much about tensions between the church, like the coming of Christianity to what is now Russia and it's like the, the embrace of the church by Russian society but also the old ways which for many people there is No tension between them because they're like, sure, we can go to church and then the old ways are about, you know, making sure the crops grow and things like that. So Mm -hmm. we can we can have it all except one of our
1: villains is like, no, you can't. Right. And before I start talking about him, there's another line to this, which is the eternal battle of the Winter King and the Summer King, which if you're already interested in that, that's already ringing a bell in your head. If you're not interested in that, you might want to look it up. Because as soon as I realized what was going on, I The text immediately... messages
0: I got, she was like, <laughs> why didn't
1: you tell me right out of the bat this was a Summer King, Winter King thing? Because I love, I love that. Mm-hmm. Alright, so we have Constantine. I'm not going to even... He... <laughs> like laughing angrily because he was so, he
0: and was so listener, infuriating. We're also both doing like angry thousand yard stairs
1: because he's the kind of villain that I hate. Mm-hmm. Like with every fiber of my being, I despised him. This is beyond John and Thorpe. This is this is beyond John this Thorpe. Is, yeah, he's like one completely despicable. Okay. Why do we like, hate him, Roddy? What's his profession? What does he do? He's a priest, Russian Orthodox priest. He's apparently very beautiful, which already, already is bad. Yeah. Roddy was like, I'm immediately suspicious. A red flag. She's she's mentioned how beautiful this man is. Yeah. So here's the thing, by the way. If a character trait is mentioned too many times with a particular character and there's another character who had another trait that I was suspicious of, you should be suspicious of that person because something's wrong if they keep having to reemphasize how beautiful this person is because guess what? Internally, he was horrible. Yeah. Just how do I want it? How did I? How did I tell you? I think I said that he was kind of like the case of the most egregious overreaction to an erection ever written. <laughs> it,
0: yes, and this is
1: coming from two people who have both seen Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame. He makes Frollo look like child well, play Like yeah. It's like huh? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing about constantin is that he's, he's very beautiful he has this beautiful bass voice for when he like sings divine office he writes icons so everybody is is you know
1: mm-hmm.
0: ready to fall at his feet and he kind of expects to have this magnificent career in moscow but he gets sent out to the hinterlands mm-hmm. uh where the main character vasya lives with her family and he is mad that he is into vasya who is kind of this feral which
1: child yes
2: like wait like self-hating mad yes Interesting. Yeah.
1: yes and she's the like epitome mm-hmm. of everything he's supposed to be mm-hmm. against yeah
0: like she feeds the dama and and keeps kind of all of the the old ways in the house and things like that and it's it's she's one of those people that for her it's completely compatible with everything she's mm-hmm. like well church and god is about the next world Mm-hmm. And the charity, the, the spirits, is about this world. Yes. How
2: does she feel about him? She... she can't
0: stand him. Yeah. Okay. And she like... Okay. She almost pities him, I think. Yes. Is that she's like, wow, your small little mind. Exactly. And, and your, she, your rigid little moral
1: structure. Like, she... It's almost like when you see someone who's just so opposed to everything that makes sense. And you're just like, this person's just pathetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like... I pity them Mm -hmm. and he hates her even more for that because... Well,
0: because it's a little bit like that. I've not actually seen Mad Men, but like that bit from Mad Men that's like, I don't think about you at all. Is that like, she lives rent free in his head Mm -hmm. and he hates that. And when he's not like actively causing her problems, she's like, why would I think about you? I don't know this man. (laughs) I don't know this man. Like,
1: (laughs) sorry to this man. (laughs) I've never seen him before in my life. (laughs) Until, you know, he tries to ruin her life. And um, she,
0: like, straight up saves him from being drowned by a Rusalka. And
1: you know who was not grateful? Konstantin Nikonovich. Yeah, he's... Oh, my God. I hate him so much. I can't yeah. even articulate
0: it. He makes but me so mad. how is he
1: related to the villain that we love okay, in this let's trilogy? Okay, Medved.
2: Okay, so, okay. There's a villain that we love.
1: Yes. yes. Love him.
2: What's the character's name again?
1: Medved. Which Medved. means bear. And he okay. is the summer king. So he is okay. the bear of the bear and the nightingale. When you first meet him, I was like, "Mm, I don't know about this guy. I don't really like him. And then he immediately grew on me because he's the kind of, by nature, he is a, he's literally a force of nature, actually, just to describe him. He's chaotic. And that's just what he is. And he has kind of dominion over summer, fire, heat stroke, Mm -hmm.
0: uh, making people not dead anymore. So, um, like, in life, ways,
1: but in a creepy way. Yeah, in a very creepy way. Like, you don't... You should not invite him to a funeral. No.
0: Um, like, this is very much a, a story about how, like, people who are dead are supposed to stay dead. Mm-hmm. And when he's, they do not stay dead, consequences.
1: Yes. But he's just like, but what if I re-alived this unalived person? Let's just see what happened. All right, sorry. He's, he's literally a chaos demon. He is... He's, like, just for funsies. He's whimsical. Yeah. <laughs> and he... <sighs> Bless his little chaotic heart, loves Constantine so much. And- yeah, he
0: first appears to Constantine as, like, Constantine's, like, shut up in his little cell too mm-hmm. late at night, mm-hmm. you know, trying to write icons. And and he's, his, like, so mad at God because he's like, I was supposed to have this glorious career and instead mm-hmm. I got sent to the hinterlands, you know, and instead of doing your will, I'm being tormented sexually by this little witch girl. And... And just as he's sort of in the height of his his feelings about that, he thinks that one of his icons is speaking to him, and it's Medved. And, like, I got my partner to read these books, and he really enjoyed them, but, like, he's a priest. So the entire time, he was reading this, and he was like, well, if I briefly hallucinated that one of my icons of Jesus had only one eye, like this literal chaos demon, I simply would not have immediately
1: agreed to do his will. Like... Like Constantine, <laughs> he was like, "Where sold- does this man go to seminary?" Constantine <laughs> saw one hallucination and immediately sold his soul for a potato chip, like that literally
0: is his, like, one corn <laughs> chip. Like it was just, it was immediate. It's because he doesn't actually love God; he loves himself, exactly. and he wants purpose. So, and Medved was like, "I'll give you purpose." But the thing is, Medved is like this eternal being mm-hmm. who's locked in this constant struggle with his brother, the King of Winter. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh, you. Yeah. Like, that's just a thing that you do. Mm -hmm. And with Constantine, it's like, so what you keep doing is digging your own hole Mm -hmm. deeper and deeper. Sure. And so everything you've done, you've done to yourself. Yes. Deliberate choices.
2: Constantine is, uh, might I say, overbearing? (laughs)
0: and i maybe am am you know it's not fair when you do that during podcasts because we're wearing headphones we can't get up and walk out of the room we're we're innocent bystanders and you've trapped us
2: however i do have a point though because when we look back at john thorpe or wickham that seems to be what is getting and i'm uh, presuming we haven't we haven't Aside from being a a, a capricious necromancer, we haven't really described personality types or dispositions of Medved. I'm assuming he is not as uh, insufferable no personality wise, like when so. he showed
1: up i was like ah my buddy my the buddy. guy who's gonna mess stuff up this sure, year sure. but constantin what he does throughout the book mm-hmm. is he inserts himself into situations in order to cause trouble yes right. like he's not he a, causes problems on right. purpose he's not a chaos god who just like has to do it by nature he's like oh i'm purposefully going to go mess these things up because I am a spiteful little man because I want something out of it and if I can't get anything
0: out of it I can get making other people miserable out of it and Mm. that's better than nothing
2: but is there anything Conventionally vindictive about that, it doesn't seem. He sounds like he is a a, a system disruptor, a, a chaotic trickster, um, someone who's messing with the whole scheme of things. Not not but narrowing in on one person and making that. one But it person. actually
0: comes from a place of conservatism, because of his own worldview. So he's got this very rigid, you know, idea of all the old ways must be wiped out. There's only one way to be a, a faithful, orthodox exactly. Christian, and this is the only. Thing
1: that will we're, that is like permitted. Also, to get a little deep into the book, I do really think the listeners should read the book. I know we're giving them some I mean, yeah. details, but Constantin also comes from the city, yeah, yes. quite literally, where the charity, where you know these practices within the home and the earth are not as prevalent as they are in the countryside and too. not as daily important, right? Because um, like, if
0: you don't feed the domovoy, or if you don't make the right sacrifices like your rain won't fall and your crops won't grow. Right. Which is something that affects the city but not immediately. Exactly.
1: And so and the city has its own protections via the church because the city is also the sign of like modernization and moving away from the old ways. So he comes to the village, the countryside trying to disrupt everything and thereby putting everyone at risk because it doesn't have the protections that the city has. And that causes a lot of problems. Just another thing to like reemphasize this, like his whole vendetta is 100% from the fact that he does not know how to deal with his own feelings about this girl who does not care about him in the least.
0: It's deeply personal and petty. Yes,
1: it is. Petty. Yes, Yes. he's very, very, very petty. And even when he gets the power to do the things that he, like when he gets the fame that he wanted, he still uses that to be petty Mm -hmm. to Vasya, which is just like, but why? Now, the third villain, mm-hmm. who actually shows up in the second book. I'm going to mispronounce. I think it's Koshchai. Okay. Koshchai the Deathless yes. is his name. Wow. Very, like, one of the best names. Truly. I was suspicious of him the minute that he got there. Every text was, I'm
0: getting, he's got
1: red hair. Yes. She keeps okay. mentioning the red hair too she much. She kept... To be clear, listeners, I have nothing against redheads. Let me just say I had to, <laughs> yes, but.
2: It's the author's approach. Yes. Right.
1: Every time he showed up, his red hair was mentioned. And I was like, there is something wrong here. This <laughs> this man cannot be trusted with his red hair. And it turns out he's actually quite terrible. But, but for some reason, and this might just be me, I actually really liked him more than Constantine, And like, I if- wonder
0: how much of that has to do with the fact that like Medved and Kostcheid the Deathless are figures from Russian traditional storytelling. Mm-hmm. And you don't pass that kind of thing down hundreds after hundreds of years if people aren't saying, oh, tell us the one about Kostcheid the Deathless. Yes. You know, tell us the one about Medved and his brother Morosko and the fight between the Summer and the Winter Kings. Um, whereas Constantin is, I mean, like the thing is, I hate him, but, like, Catherine Arden is really good at writing Mm -hmm. a villain. and He's original to her and is just so, as somebody who knows a lot of clergy, she was like, what are all the worst neuroses of the priesthood, you know? Mm -hmm. And this is not to say that everybody deals with this, but it's the self-absorption, it's the pride, it's the Mm -hmm. the, that kind of thing. And I think I did have to let my partner know before he started reading these books. I was like, okay, so there's a priest who's terrible, but there's a monk who's fantastic. Like I do want to make it clear, this trilogy has a very nuanced approach to medieval Russian Christianity Mm. that I deeply appreciated. And so much of it is about balance like it's not right it's not that the old ways should cast the church out or vice versa mm-hmm. it's that they need to live together which is actually from what I understand from my university studies pretty much the case in Russia today like wow. a lot of people still are like you know in church for Sundays and all the feast days and mm-hmm. also are like maybe not leaving food
1: out for the domovoy but doing a lot of folk practices still. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that wistful sigh was because Mary Graham made a reference to my favorite character who yeah. I love very much. Very oh, the much. monk. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Love
0: him. But we we did say before we started this podcast that we can't spend the whole time talking about
2: Yes. That's right. The, Bear and the
0: Nightingale, but even I gonna, though I was
2: going to say it did—it is our touch so. It did make me think that when we do like a villain or or hate a villain, mm-hmm. is it does it have a lot to do with maybe what their motives are? I don't know if it's always as simple as that. I think that I think that their their motives might change over the course of a series. I think or For a movie. me, how
0: much of it is that you personally annoy me? Oh, there you like, go. Like John yeah. Thorpe personally annoys me. Right. And Konstantin Nikonovich but like, what, like personally, is like I just. I hate everything you stand for and you're not even doing it stylishly like mm-hmm. i'll give style this, i'll we... give this for george wickham yeah smooth
2: let's talk smooth about style points as yeah. butter style we... points count
1: style we points count. kind of touched on that last time too. yeah like villains with this seductive quality mm-hmm. like i mean iago medved yes iago medved caskai the deathless they're so charming mm-hmm. when you read them like even though I was like very suspicious of the redhead, I was just like, part of me is like, maybe he's fine. And I'm just being weird because he seems pretty cool. And then he did something I horrendous. Mean, kind of the epitome of
0: style points this is Richard III, mm-hmm. who, mm-hmm. within the space of one scene, gets a woman to go from, I hate you, you've killed my whole family, to, well, okay, I guess I'll marry you. Yes. Whiplash. In-
2: inconceivable. But
0: like, you have to. <laughs> You sort of have to applaud, or I mean like Lady Macbeth, who I'm not even always, I'm not always willing to say that she's the villain of the piece, Mm -hmm. Um, but you can say the same thing of Macbeth, is like, you'll give it to them, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they do have style. Mm -hmm. Um, And same thing with, I wanted to talk about Claudius from Hamlet, because between this episode and our last villains episode, I watched the 2017 uh, production of Hamlet with Andrew Scott as Hamlet. Oh, I've wanted um, to see that. It's very good. Okay. Um, best Ophelia I've seen in my life. Wow. Jessica Brown Findlay knows what she's talking about.
2: Wow. Andrew yeah. Scott. Um, wow.
0: But Angus Wright plays Claudius and he plays this very. He's not young, but he is like. He's attractive. He's mm-hmm. a politician. He's, you know, he does seem to genuinely. Love Gertrude. Mm-hmm. Like you see you see why she why she went for it. Um, and I think that that's so, I mean, it's one may smile and smile and be a villain is literally from that play. Mm-hmm. and and Hamlet's saying that about Claudius. And it's an interesting, because uh, I always also love Patrick Stewart in the role in the the David Tennant Royal Shakespeare Company production. But it's a little, and I mean, it's Patrick Stewart, so he's suave in his own way, indeed. but it's a little less overt mm-hmm. in that production. And this is more like, we're throwing parties. We're wooing the people. Mm-hmm. We're very much being the the politician and the sure. charismatic diplomat about it all, mm-hmm. in a way that just kind of makes you go, huh? <laughs> Villains that make you go, huh? <laughs> and for me, that's so that's so delicious. Indeed. And and makes the play that much more interesting.
2: Right.
1: <laughs> no, I just so I was following along, and then you said the word delicious, and then my mind went to the movie The Witch. <laughs> which I just the, want to lift at Listen, <laughs> if we're going to talk, literally Black Phillip was a goat for the whole darn movie. And then at the very, very end, takes on his like more human-like form. Sure. And let me tell you, that was the most charming two minutes of my life. I was like, yeah, I wanna go live deliciously in the forest. <laughs> like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> what else is there for? Well, and I mean, talk about,
0: cause I think that a lot, I actually haven't seen The Witch because I have a very, very low heart tolerance, but it's Anya Taylor-Joy, right? And yes. it's like- And you know Peloton. the line. And I know yeah, the line. Yeah, you just said the line. Yeah. But uh, but thinking about that, thinking about like the the selling your soul to the devil type, mm-hmm. you know, or thinking about like Doctor Faustus, Marlow's Doctor Faustus. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about in this case homoerotic seduction. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Mephistopheles, mm-hmm. delicious villain. Right. Delicious. Right. Um, and <laughs> I remember there's an excellent, uh, production filmed at the Globe with Arthur Darvill as Mephistopheles, and I watched it in undergrad because we read the play uh in one of my classes and i went to my professor afterwards i was like dr fox did i did i imagine the gay stuff and she said no it's a really gay production (laughs) of a really gay play because it's by Kit (laughs) Marlowe."
2: that's interesting though we're gonna get back well i guess this is still on the subject of the witch but satan or the devil or a devil figure Mm -hmm. as the villain in your work of narrative fiction or theater Mm -hmm. is interesting because that's sort of like the superman of villains I mean, the ultimate, yeah. um, the pure evil, and in 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 sort of a Faustian deal, are you really supposed to be mad at the devil?
1: Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna take it to John Milton real quick okay. and talk yes. about Paradise Lost because yeah. let me tell Satan you, Satan is antihero. Listen, right. he is, and when you listen to him talk about why he did the thing he did, mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, like to- I'm there with you, and I get it. And that is just, like you said, the Superman, a villain. Like every villain tries to get to that point. I mean.
2: It's the literary equivalent of Heath Ledger's hospital monologue (laughs) in The Dark Knight.
1: Yes. Where you're
2: like, huh. Huh.
1: (laughs) No, it's it's really that good. Like, I mean, I don't know, I'm talking about Paradise Lost like it came out yesterday, but I really enjoyed it. like 400 years ago. (laughs) Basically. It's just a foundational text of the modern English canon. Don't worry. Exactly. And it's just, it's, now I want to reread it because when I read it in college, I was just like, this is so good. And I see this everywhere oh, now because... Paradise Lost, you wouldn't have Crowley in
0: Good Omens exactly. Saying, no I yep. didn't mean to fall. I just sauntered vaguely downwards. right?
1: You know? And also, like, I mean, there's a whole conversation of how that actually ended up changing or, like, kind of morphing itself into religious canon, too, which, you know, that's a whole other conversation. It's a whole but... other
0: conversation, but it is... Right up there for me with Dante's Inferno. Yes. And Dante being like, I'm going to invent hell. And it has like no exactly.
1: you know, scriptural basis. And then people being like, oh, my God, that's what hell's like. Exactly. And it's like... <laughs> Dante's Inferno and Paradise Lost. I just I have so many opinions about those books because of that. Because you know what? About the Inferno, by the way, mm-hmm. when you get to the whole Divine Comedy, like the whole trilogy, things fall apart like, as soon as you get to the end of purgatory. <laughs> so just throwing that out there. Like, he he was winging it, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> and, well, also, like, when you spend that much time
0: lovingly describing hell and all seven circles of it, yes. when you get to paradise, like, Beatrice isn't going to cut it. No. Y-
1: yeah, it was, it was boring. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, send me back. <laughs> Take me back. <laughs> <laughs> it's so interesting to me as someone
0: who, like, spends... a a not small amount of time believing why like I a religious person don't believe that hell is like a thing Mm -hmm. and people are like but all these things and I'm like no no no
1: Dante's Inferno is not scripture (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) that but once again the whole like trend of like selling your soul or giving part of yourself to it shows up everywhere Mm -hmm. yeah like I, I mean, mean, it shows up in The Bear and the Nightingale. It shows up that's in The Bear and the Nightingale. That's effectively what Constantine does. It shows up even in, I'm going to say, God's chain shadow. That's actually a big... like that's. A big I wondered if we were going to talk about that
0: because Kame uh-huh, is such a... Come. Yeah. You okay. know?
2: Okay. Okay. We've got a lot going on here. we got to <laughs> yeah, arrange the table true. here.
0: That's why we need you, Jeff. I
2: know. we We've gotten into <laughs> the devil, which is really fascinating. And... That's. I mean,
1: was it on my list at all. It, I don't even
2: know if it was.
1: <laughs> it was it? I'm looking at my list. Sorry. Yeah, I don't.
0: I don't have devil written down.
1: I
2: keep anywhere. feeling I do like
0: have a long list of villains and romance.
2: Hesitating novels. to use the word allure and devil too closely but no, together. but
0: that's. But that's it though, because like you watch or I watch Doctor Faustus. We read the Winter Night trilogy, mm-hmm. and we don't hate Mephistopheles, and we don't hate Medved. I kind of hate Faustus. Exactly. And like when he when he is dragged to hell at the end of the play, you're like, well, buddy, you did that, you did that yeah. to yourself, right? And you're like, can you? There's a little bit of like, oh, can you blame Mephistopheles? It's
2: the, just it's, it's <laughs> the Don Giovanni thing too. He's
0: working nine to five, right. you know,
1: <laughs> looking <laughs> for got a soul. to A lot to steal. of souls to harvest. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> he's got a long list. But that's actually kind of a condition of that deal at this point you're not going to leave that because the the thing about that deal is that you don't hate the devil for making the deal you hate the character for being the type of person who would take the deal exactly. in the first place so and that's then in kind the case
0: of... of Faustus to say so but am I definitely going to hell right. and Mephistopheles being like my dude I am holding the scroll in my hand <laughs> that you just signed in your own blood that says I get your soul right When you die. And so, like, yeah, I live in hell. So, yeah, you'll be going there. Like, it's the
1: height, frankly, for me, like the height of comedy. Also, (laughs) like, to be clear, I'm going to take this to Disney really quick. We don't hate Ursula for her contract. We hate her for trying to manipulate the terms of her contract by, like, you know, getting in the way of things. But Ariel signed that contract herself. She signed the deal. Right. So, I mean, I, I think the concept of disney
0: villains which i know we touched on last time as well is just so fascinating Mm -hmm. to me particularly like the villain song Mm -hmm. um as the particular hallmark of because the greatest disney villains have the best songs Mm -hmm. i think
2: well disney heroes the the trope is that they have the i want song yep Mm -hmm. uh ariel wants to live up up. Up where we are what have you um the villains it's technically also an i want this a is what bit, i'm scheming. yeah i
0: mean ursula's like i want your voice please right I'm gonna sing a pretty great number about it scar is like it's like the dark version of i just can't wait to be king yeah as, my you know, big it's chance is coming
2: i have to be prepared for low
0: is big... like i either want to sleep with this woman or murder her and probably both quite honestly Man. um but like Punchback veiled in a Dame way Dame that, that goes right movie. over the heads of eight-year-olds <laughs> and...
2: let's just say that Hunchback in Notre Dame as a Disney movie.
1: What were they thinking? They shouldn't have done it.
2: What were they thinking?
1: I mean the you one you know thing... the funny thing, I've told you so many things that my mom has let me watch that I should not have been watching. I did watch The Hunchback of Notre Dame, but she was just like, this is not a children's movie. Yeah. And I was like, ma'am, we just watched Dracula the other week. But right. at the same time, she was like, yeah. this is not a children's movie.
2: Yeah, I think the yeah. movie posters actually said, come for the gargoyle, stay for the trauma. No, come, <laughs> wait, something like yeah. that.
1: Yeah,
0: Well, the problem is they had such a massive tone problem because yeah. there's a stage version based on, so it's got the Mencken-Schwartz, Oh, I see. songs. And they wrote some new songs for it, but it hues much more closely to the novel.
1: Oh, I see. I'm it's, sorry. I thought you were gonna talk about the French oh, version. Oh, no. Sorry. Which
0: is its own wild experience. Yes. <laughs> um sorry. Yes. um, so,
2: um and, Is it is it what is it is it Frollo? Is that how you say the villain? Frollo, name? yeah. Yeah. One of the most disturbing <sighs> yeah. villains ever caught on Disney. And
0: actually, another case of that guy's a priest. Right. With all of the like in in the novel, he's the archdeacon of Notre right. Dame, uh, and and Disney was like, we can't do that; they'll come for us. Yeah, if, so they make him the minister of justice. In which case, it's like, what's he doing hanging around Notre Dame? I guess, except for the fact that like, exactly. it's right there. Palace of Justice literally is right next door. <laughs> but like, it's it's so many, uh, and actually in the stage version he is the priest he is the archdeacon
2: let's go back to the temptations of the devil yes uh and then two quick notes (laughs) one we'll go into the witch and then we will get into sylvia is that the witch which isn't a book but a a film Mm -hmm. um still a great narrative that is interestingly structured because you do want to go with the devil by the Mm -hmm. time that film has ended because really her her family has it's interesting because it, it it's a cast of like five people Mm -hmm. you think of a traditional witch hunt and maybe the witch is being hunted by the entire maybe community Mm -hmm. but this is just one insular family Mm -hmm. that turns on the one daughter and so she has that not had any support whatsoever in the entire film Mm -hmm. so
0: and it doesn't sound, so again, I haven't seen this film, but it doesn't sound like she's the kind of
1: person you hate for making the deal. No. It sounds like, okay, I see why you made the deal. She, she's probably an exception to that rule, but that's also because of the conditions that lead to her making the deal yeah. where, right. I mean, just spoiler alert, there was literally nothing else that she could possibly do at that point Yeah, right. take the deal. But it also sounds like a good deal. The way that line is delivered mm-hmm. is just probably one of the most seductive versions of the Uh give-me-your-soul situation I've ever heard. Yeah, Um, And, I
2: don't know, she kind of finds some sort of semblance of family at the end of the film.
1: Sorry, this is hilarious if you've seen the movie. Like, part of me just wants to show you like the very beginning of the movie and Mm -hmm. then like skip all the middle Uh and then show you the very end and then you would get it. Yeah. Because, yeah.
2: But, yes, the temptation of the, the devil. There are... Gods of underworlds, we should probably talk because we've yeah. never really formally talked about Gods of Jade and Shadow.
1: Okay. So,
2: which we, what was that the phrase for the trope of that story? Death and the Maiden. Yeah. A Death and the Maiden story.
1: Mm-hmm. So, this is basically an adaptation of, or like a retelling, I don't know how I want to phrase it exactly, that involves a lot of like Mexican and Mayan, like cultural. Yeah,
0: it's the Papalva or Vuh. I don't yeah. know actually how to I don't announce the text. Yeah, I don't but know. But it's based on a
1: particular text. Exactly. And so you hear a lot of Silvia Moreno Garcia basically touches on a lot of those older stories like there's the twins who meet the twin gods of death and then battle against them and behead them. Beheading is actually a very important cultural thing in these stories and it has the symbolism of it is extremely important. I'm going to try not to, like, dwell on that too much and just give you the story, which is that you have our main character, Cassiopeia Toon, who lives with her mother's family. The patriarch of the family, her grandfather, is a very cruel, sickly old man who basically spends all of his time ruling his family from the bed in which he lays. Her mother had left the family, married a man with, you know indigenous blood and so he was looked down upon that match was looked down upon so once her father dies cassiopeia's father dies they have to move back in with the family and instead of having their proper place in the family they are then treated like servants and she also has this cousin martine is the only grandson of the family and
2: and is Just as big a jerk as the grandfather.
1: And yes, and he has so much privilege because of that, and he has no problem exercising that even over his cousin. And he just a real smarmy
2: jerk. Yes, and
1: he resents her because of the fact that she is intelligent and educated, and he couldn't. That she is smarter than him. Yes. And that in a
0: way, actually, their grandfather likes her more. Yes. Like, doesn't treat her well, but respects her.
1: Um, There is a line that he sticks on, which is when he got expelled from school and Cassiopeia was in the room with their grandfather when, you know, he had to, when Martine had to come in and tell them what happened. And his grandfather kind of looks at her and says, if only you were a boy. And that, that one moment kind of set the tone for the way he treats her for the rest of the book nearly um so what happens is martine gets her in trouble and she can't go with the family to their regular like once a year day out where she wouldn't have to work or clean or anything so she's forced to stay at home and she kind of falls into temptation to open this chest that um her grandfather keeps in his room at the foot of his bed she thinks that it's going to have money in it it doesn't It's actually just full of bones and she touches the bones and a shard gets stuck in her hand and all of the bones reanimate into a flesh and blood version of one of the, well, the Supreme Lord of the Underworld, Hunkame. And then he's just like, hey, buddy. That's not what he says. Nope. He's not he's even the- that nice. He's like, about oh, it. so you've
0: woken me up? Yes, well, basically. okay, so Thanks. we have
1: things to do now. Yeah, he's like, because we gotta he's go- basically feeding
0: off of her life energy exactly. because of this bone shard in her right. finger, without which he would not have been able to be awoken. Like, right. in addition to all the beheading, like blood sacrifice is also there's Very a deep important. cultural
1: connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's missing various like body parts and artifacts, like his eye, I think, a finger, I can't remember. I yeah. just reread. So this, why but- is he? In a box of bones, Roddy, whose fault is this? This is his brother's fault, his twin brother, who is only very slightly younger than him. So once again, Um, we have
0: not Summer Winter King because Medved and Morosko are also brothers. Right. But we still have more brothers
1: fighting each other. Yes, exactly. And um, this brother, Rukub Kameh, I believe I'm pronouncing the name right because I just listened to it again. He resented his brother. Almost similarly to the way that Cassiopeia and her cousin resent each other for the fact that even though they were twins, Huokumei was the older twin and therefore any decision that he made was final. And that brew resentment, that brew power struggles until Huokumei eventually cuts his brother's head off um, using all sorts of trickery and then locks him in a box and then entrusts that box to a human. Cassiopeia's grandfather and tells him as long as you keep this box closed you will have all the wealth you desire and that's where we get our deal with the devil Faustia. because that right. family is very wealthy for the very small town that they live in right and then Cassiopeia ends up on this you know she's always kind of wanted to see the world right and now she basically gets to see all
0: of from one shore to the other mm-hmm. and co- like you know co- collecting his body parts. Sure. Yes. But there's this whole, you know, interesting relationship. I was worried going into it that the one part of the book that was really going to bum me out was any time Martin showed up because mm. I was like, oh, is he going to be, like, always violent or always, like, really unpleasant? And he is unpleasant, but it's more, like, he's a weak man. He's a very pathetic <laughs> um, character. And he, to an extent, knows it and yes. and hates it. And
2: That's a type of villain in and of itself, <laughs> yeah. kind of the kind of the Draco villain where yes. it's not the main villain and it's not I mean, it's it's I've been reading it, it's it's a type of anti villain.
1: Yes. Thank so, you for that comparison. That's a really yes yeah. it's actually very apt. So I don't wanna like go through the whole like yeah. listener, you really this. don't
0: want us to spoil this book for no. you.
1: It it will be I flew through it in days yeah. because it's so good. It's so it's genuinely one of my favorite books. But you know, it there is an underlying love story. There, There's all of these, like, great creatures, these encounters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see Cassiopeia getting the adventure that she's always longed for. But at the same time, you see her constantly paying the price for this yeah. adventure at the same time. Mm-hmm. So there's a wonderful balance to there that book.
0: Is this hovering villainous darkness? It's sure. another case of the villain making the story. I mean, without a villain, that good.
1: Yeah. You know, as good as Vokub Kame, It's mm-hmm. not... At all. As good of a book as it is. And he's so good. Because he. The thing about it is that. It's not. Once again. Don't want to spoil this. But it doesn't end in the way you suspect. But unlike with. Basically with the Winter Night trilogy. I was just like. Please tell me this character. Is and alive at some point like Mm -hmm. somebody has to get this guy (laughs) and get him out of here that was never the way i felt with gods of jade and shadow right like i wanted martine out of her life just because he was annoying and holding her back and you know an abusive cousin i just wanted hun kamei to get his place back in his kingdom but i was never just like oh he has to go kill his brother now that was never the feeling i got with that book so i feel like she Sylvia moreno Garcia got managed to write a book where we had our villains, and while they didn't get the traditional villain ends, what they got was just as satisfactory, if not more. Yeah, it's an extremely satisfactory ending. Yes. Uh, yeah, we got to have our villain cake and eat it too. Yeah, with that book. And that actually reminds me of something that uh, Jeff mentioned earlier, um, before like earlier today before we started, which is uh, what. I have now coined to be gray villains. The gray villains. Mm. The gray villains. Um,
2: Which I wish I had a literary example to go on, but my first um, one was Magneto from the X Men. No, and I
1: think that's important because here's the thing: while I am satisfied with Wakub Kame's ending, sure, he is still a villain and he still did very terrible Indeed. things. Well, cool motive still murder. Yes but I'm satisfied with his ending. Mm-hmm. And that is something that you see often in like comic books, because the thing about comics is that they have to keep bringing villains back right. oftentimes. And so you might get these cases where it is not a redemption. It's not a redemption, but their their motives do make sense. Once again, as you said, cold motive, still murder. Yeah. And you might even see cases in which they do align themselves Albeit temporarily, with their hero counterparts, right? But they are still very much villains at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And Magneto was a great example Jeff gave. You also said,
2: oh, uh, Loki's the obviously. Yes. And so that's that's a question of like what...
1: Loki Marvel flavor.
2: Loki Marvel flavor, yeah. like where you know where do their loyalties really even lie when mm-hmm. you can't really get a bead on it, and they make capricious decisions on which side they're going to fight on based on what they're either feeling or what will benefit them more. Mm -hmm. So, or the whole, the villain of my villain is the villain of the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Wait, Mm -hmm. no, something like that. Mm -hmm. But you know, motives, motives, loyalties, yeah, gray morals.
1: And I mean, that's just a common thing in general. I'm going to just say it because I know we're going to talk about this at another time, but that's also something that happens in anime a lot Mm -hmm. where an obvious example of this, sorry, very grave, I'm okay. gonna veer, would be technically Vegeta. That's
2: not even technical.
1: Because well here's the problem, and we'll talk about this later. Sure. But just so you know, if you watch Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball G T, any of the variations, Vegeta was a genocidal maniac. Yes. Who then became a family man.
2: A total family man.
1: Like <laughs> that's his character trajectory. Yes. And oftentimes people tend to stick on the family man part, and forget the fact that he was destroying entire planets to further the Saiyan race at a point. And I'm just like, guys, he's kind of terrible. <laughs> but yep. once yep. again, conversation for another time. But that's an example of what happens where, you know, you have this person who's very obviously a villain, but they do the one good thing, and everybody's like, oh, let's just run with that. And it's like, no, let's run with that. Let's not. Let's stay and realize what's happening right, right now. <laughs> sorry i had to get that off my chest yeah
2: (laughs) it's a fascinating thing because i think that i had i just discovered that the phrase anti-hero has Mm -hmm. has possibly been being used the wrong way or at least Mm -hmm. i have been using it because when we see a villain or a gray area gray morals person doing heroic resembling things we say that's an anti-hero or we say loki's an anti-hero but loki has blood on his hands just Mm -hmm. as vegeta has blood on his hands an anti-hero would more so be the han solo type where he might not be actually guilty of any murder per Mm -hmm. se but he's just kind of a he's not a golden boy he's not a a rule follower and he extremely
0: did not sign up for this
2: he did not sign up that's your (laughs) anti-hero and then that's when we get into anti-villain which uh loki is an anti-villain draco is an anti-villain Javert is an anti villain.
0: I poem. was wondering, so dear listeners, so, we are recording this on Barricade Day 2, uh, because Barricade Day is June 5th and morning of June 6th uh, for the revolution of right. 1832. Right. So I've had Les Miserables
1: on the brain for the so, past couple
2: of
0: days.
1: You were born on the perfect day. I know.
2: Les, um, Les Miserables. <laughs> is, is Javert just doing his job? You know. Well, this,
1: I mean? is, this is what
0: often gets me worked up about adaptations about Javert.
2: He's the villain.
0: Of adaptations of the Javert. The thing is, Javert is certainly an antagonist. If we want to call him a villain, I'm not opposed to that. I think Tenardier is also a villain uh, in a way. And certainly fits more of the class connotations of that word, Tenardier. The problem with Javert, it's not a problem, actually. It's a very good point Victor Hugo is making. The reason that Javert is a problem is that he is a cop. Right. And he is the best cop ever. Right. It's not that he has all of these conflicting things or that he's going too deep into the job. It's that he's doing the job. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, the police system has no room for nuance, (laughs) understanding, circumstance. He's like, oh, you stole a loaf of bread. Oh, you shoved snow down the, you know, the shirt front of a respectable citizen or you punched a respectable citizen because he shoved Snow down your dress, and you're a sex worker, and it's very cold, and you're already very sick. Like, there's no. He just is like, no. You punched a man in the face, mm-hmm.
2: and that's and that's it.
0: why and that's why Jean Valjean extending any kind of like kindness right. or or forgiveness is because it's not even really kindness. It's just forgiveness or or an acknowledgement of nuance breaks him. Yeah, because there literally is no room in the system for that, and so if Javert is like if i have to resign he's also an atheist in the book right um and the the one sort of shred of compassion that jean valjean shows him both tells him the structure i've given my life to the policing structure is this doesn't fit in it and Mm -hmm. god exists and i have to resign from him but how do you tender your resignation to god because he's like I have to go tender my resignation to the police force and how how do you tender your resignation to God and his answer is you jump off a bridge. Yeah. Um and and the particular bridge he jumps off of cuz Paris has a ton of them is like literally between maybe not Notre Dame but another important church mm-hmm. and like his police precinct. He's literally caught between the law
2: and the church. Mm-hmm. He jumps off a bridge about it.
0: Um and
2: I mean psychologically complex villains <gasps> are I... fascinating villains.
0: He's so, so good. He is, yeah, yeah. But I
2: admire that. Uh, Oh, Vicky Hugo. Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) You've done it again.
2: (laughs) I admire the construct of that character. Oh, yeah. And having uh, not read that book until later in life, Mm -hmm. and now listening to this conversation, I had to open up my phone just to confirm whether or not my brain was doing this or not. But there are already things on the internet that tie in that character and that story from Les Miserables to something like 1993 is The Fugitive with Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones and the cat and mouse energy. Yeah,
0: And And, that's the thing is that Tommy
2: Lee Jones is just doing his job.
0: It does get reduced. Like the javert mouse dynamic gets reduced to that a lot, which is not what I think it is. Because Javert is not actually dogging him across France. Javert keeps like getting promoted. Mm -hmm. And because this is a novel about the same 20 people running into each other all across France. He just keeps going, you know, he's going about his business and he's like, preternaturally strong man, Jean Valjean. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, 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 and because of how his worldview works, he's like, well, if I think that that's, that escaped criminal right. from 20 years ago, right. I'm obligated to go after him. Right. There's no concept of like, probably hasn't stolen any bread in the last 20 years because right. that wouldn't occur to
2: Jabert. Right. Yeah. I was talking to Variety earlier about the dynamic between who is the, antagonist or protagonist or hero and villain and i couldn't help but ponder how we often also like to reduce we like to i don't know we like to make more especially when this happens in movie adaptations where we we distill dracula Mm -hmm. down to dracula versus van helsing Mm -hmm. right or Richelieu versus D'Artagnan, when the obviously the books are much richer than that. But yeah, it, yeah,
0: I was gonna say boring.
2: Exactly. Dracula
0: much more fun when there's
1: also a cowboy involved. <laughs> also, I don't care about D'Artagnan if Porthos isn't somewhere in the distance making a lot of wreckage. Exactly.
2: exactly. Exactly. It just made me think like Dracula obviously is thought of as a villain. I don't know.
0: He yeah. Well Or like a horror not of this world.
2: Right. Certainly. Yeah. Just a, a a thing that you may want to deal with.
1: Th- or not at all. Or not at it. all.
2: <laughs> you can stay out of it if you want.
1: Oh, man.
2: Uh, so this was a, a great episode, especially because we dove real deep into the, into the Winter Night series. Winter
0: Night trilogy. Winter Night yeah.
2: trilogy. Kate Catherine Arden. Yes. Mm-hmm uh we'll have info in the show notes but this we'll have to make this trilogy we'll have to do more villains
0: i have a whole list of we romance novel talk.
1: villains we didn't even get to we didn't talk about so. odysseus yet again
2: oh my gosh we didn't get to we're
1: going to have to just i'll talk to you about that later actually. <laughs> yeah. but
2: um, we'll have an odyssey episode but i think this was rewarding because we really dug into the night winter night trilogy so
1: yes and in- Please read it. Please read it. Let Mary Graham's net cast. I was gonna say I want my count to be even higher (laughs) of people I
0: have gotten to read these books.
2: We have to do a romance part two very soon as well, so we'll just tag the villains into
0: that. We'll just tag
2: the villains into that, and uh, and we'll say thank you to the folks at home. This has been another episode of A Little Too Quiet, uh, this Ferndale Library podcast, and it's brought to you by the Friends of the Ferndale Library. Mary Graham, thanks for being here. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, happy birthday and oh, um, happy birthday. whatever other that French uh, observance that you just mentioned.
0: Barricade day. Barricade it's not day. like, to be very clear this was a bunch of students throwing furniture in the street. This is not something that's currently being observed in France, you know the way Bastille Day is. This is a bunch of lame Miserables nerds on the internet in a trench coat. Love We it. all come out of hiding one year. Love it. <laughs> Once a year.
2: And Roddy, thanks for joining us. Of course. And if you want to support this podcast, go to FerndaleFriends.org or you could rate or follow us or leave a comment or tell your friends about us. And thank you for listening to part two. Uh, We will keep you hanging in suspense for part three. We'll talk about more villains in the future. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more.
1: I'm glad that you knew what I was talking about.
0: <laughs> we couldn't make such good podcasts if we weren't telepathically communicating. I That's think. Right.